0: Ephesians 6, 1 through 9. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with a promise, that it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Slaves, obey your earthly masters with fear and trembling, with a sincere heart as you would Christ, not by the way of eye service, as people pleasers, but as servants of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart, rendering service with a good will as to the Lord and not to man, knowing that whatever good anyone does, this he will receive back from the Lord, whether he is a slave or free. Masters, do the same to them and stop your threatening, knowing that he is both their master and yours, is in heaven, and that there is no partiality with him. But yeah, listen, I am super duper glad to be here. Like, I kind of got. Nervous for a second, because I thought about like, I'm standing like where Brian stands, like I love that dude. He's amazing. He doesn't think that that's the cool part about it. Like he's not trying to be cool either. Um, but yeah, so this is a, this is an absolute ple- pleasure for me. Um, I've thought about like a couple of different ways to address this. like this is a uh, kind of a difficult text, I think, for some people. Because of some things that it implies. We hadn't talked about that that way. It just so happened that I was coming on the night of like Ephesians chapter 6, 1 through 9. But we're going to dive into it, look into what it says. I believe that the Lord is going to be faithful. I believe He knows exactly what this means for everybody in this room. So just uh, believe it. Like, don't think that it's uh, just a bunch of words on a page don't think that it does not apply but also don't think that I'm supposed to speak about it because I'm black either because I do recognize this kind of a thing so there are a couple of different things that I want to talk about about this passage like the first one is going to be like the magnitude of obedience so we'll look at like the like what obedience means in the grand scheme of just there being a creator there being creatures there being human life there being like earth so we'll look at the magnitude of obedience what it looks like and we'll look at the responsibility toward the other which I think some of you have probably thought about right when you heard that masters and bond servants or slaves thing and then I'm going to finish it with the perfect obedience and the perfect responsibility toward the other so the first one the magnitude of obedience so if you look at verse one there's a concept and I think that not just Paul is known as but I actually think that Jesus and God are doing this. So this is set up in this particular way. Like for those of you who have been here, like you've heard about kind of this idea of respect for God in terms of dating, like husbands and wives. Like it'll move into like that was really cool too that y'all were once here and now you're married and it fits perfectly. Like Brian is cool at doing this thing. But like, so there's this idea of husbands and wives, how a husband serves his wife but he's serving the Lord. How a wife serves her husband, but she's serving the Lord. And then he gets into these children and their parents, how they serve each other. So the first thing that we want to do when we look at this is, like if you look at verse 1, the second word in that is what I think is the focus of this passage. Like I think obedience has such a magnitude that you can't just skip over it. It's It's not just in terms of like the children hearing is not just obey and keep it moving. Just read this and keep it moving. I think it's extremely vital. So what I want to do is take a couple of passages to show you how vital, what the magnitude of obedience is. From Matthew chapter 8 verse 27, it says this And the men marveled saying What sort of man is this that even winds and sea obey him? Mark chapter 1 verse 27 says this, and they were all amazed so that they questioned among themselves saying what is this? A new teaching with authority. He commands even the unclean spirits and they obeyed him. Luke chapter 8 verse 25 says this, he said to them where is your faith? And they were afraid and they marveled saying to one another who then is this that he commands even winds and water, and they obey him. So right off the bat, this is the magnitude of obedience. These people are so wild, like in each one of these passages that I read, like it used the word marveled, and it used the word amazed. This is what, like the, like the so the plan of God, the work of God in this creation is this. When you see it do what it's supposed to do, it's supposed to be amazing. Like for these people, it's not just a mere, like miracle type of thing. It's not just, oh, this is a really powerful guy. Like their souls kind of turn because that's what's supposed to happen when obedience happens. And it's not the concept of, so this is where we've kind of grown. Maybe in our culture, I don't really like to use that term that much, but maybe in our culture, we've kind of grown to this degree. We're not really impressed by obedience. The way that these people seem to be impressed by it. Like when they see the winds and they see the sea obey, it amazes them. They marvel. And it's not a small thing. When we talk about obedience, typically, we just run over it. I kind of do this with my children. I want my kids to be amazed by obedience. Like I want them to be like, I'm shooting for obedience and nothing else. But they don't. Like, I actually think my son's allergic to obedience. It's like his least favorite thing. But I do believe, like, if I talk to him about this, because he's always going to say, like, the Bible answer anyway. Like, if I were to say to him, like, what do you think about these guys being amazed by obedience? He'd be like, that's cool. I like it. But his natural disposition, my natural disposition, maybe even your natural disposition, is to not be impressed by it. So when you hear Christians talk about obedience like in the church context I'm from when you talk about obedience people don't run around and shout they run around and shout about other stuff they don't run around and shout about obedience obedience isn't layered like that for them it's a simple thing but biblically I do not think it's accidental that God has set this in this way if you want to have an impact be obedient It will actually reveal those who don't trust him and don't get what he's doing. But it will also kind of sort of highlight the people around you that you need highlighting. I think the Lord sets that forth for us. And I don't just think it's in terms of like children and parents. I think if you notice in these verses, there's kind of an umbrella that happens in these verses. and So the umbrella looks this way. All obedience, like real obedience, true obedience happens in this way. It's in light of an ultimate. So Paul says in verse 9 that there is a master of all. So obedience is not just an open concept. It's not just a great idea. It's not just something that like, you know what, I'll just put this here because I'm kind of rolling with this writing. This sounds good. It's not that. It's always ultimate. And so underneath this umbrella, this is what you see. Paul writes, obey your parents. Verse 1 in the Lord. Not just obey your parents. He's making it ultimate. It's not just about like your good work. It's not just about you producing grades. It's not just about you looking because this, so this is what I was king of. And this is not in here. I'm just going to throw it. I was king of this. I know exactly how to look when I'm supposed to look a particular way. So for a very long time I think my folks believed that I trusted God. But my obedience wasn't based on, like, something ultimate. It was kind of based in, I need to get whatever I want, so if I can do this and get it, I'll do whatever's required. That's not real, like, true obedience. The obedience that these kids have to know is, like, this obedience supersedes your own desires. It supersedes what it produces even to some degree if it's not ultimate. So Paul says, children obey your parents in the Lord. He makes sure that he says that, but he also says this in verse five, for the slave, obey your earthly master. Not just because you're supposed to, to these people that he's speaking to. There's a category that we don't necessarily have right now that these people have. So he can't just speak to husbands and wives and just speak to children and their parents. He had to speak about this relationship too. I think it applies to us, but I'll get to it. But to them, he says, Obey your earthly masters as you would Christ. It's not just earthly, it's ultimate. And then in verses 6 and 7, he continues and says, As bondservants of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart, rendering service with a good will as to the Lord. And not to man. Verse 3 he says there's a promise connected to this. Same as he's talking to these children. For these bond servants. Your obedience has a promise connected. It's not a new concept. It's in e- Exodus chapter 20. He says like the obedience is never empty. Imagine what it feels like to have to be. Because this is what some people just think about. It. It's like I'm being obedient for nothing. I felt this regularly. When I'm obedient and then I still have to meet injustice. If I'm obedient and I still have to be treated wayward. If I'm obedient and I'm still not valued. I have an 18 year old daughter and I've had this conversation with her. Sometimes it doesn't feel like following the Lord produces a faithful boyfriend. Sometimes it doesn't feel like following the Lord produces a cool father. I know what that feels like. Because it tends to be situationally like obedience just like there's no promise connected. Like you see these people in the Bible that live for like, especially Old Testament, like live like hundreds of years. You see Israel have to wander through the wilderness. And it just looks like man, obedience is just some lofty aspect of Christianity or of religion itself that really doesn't have like a practical, pragmatic, in a sense, effect on my life. But I think like this is what's really cool. And Brian and I were talking about this earlier. But I think is really cool is like the Lord begins this with a promise, but He also ends it with a promise. And he talks about like this is what you have to remember: if you do well, it will go well. To you and with you. It may not actually look that way, but that's the promise. And so often I talk to people about who God is, and I talk to people about doubt and about faith and what does it mean to trust God? So I always kind of sort of start with this. So God tells this man in the beginning of the Bible: if he eats of a particular fruit, he will surely die. Has anyone in this room ever heard of death? Has anyone in this room ever seen death as a surety? Inevitable and unavoidable. If that's true. Then it means that God didn't lie. So it means that his character is so strong. That if he says it you can actually believe it. So even when it doesn't feel like a promise. You can actually trust it. Beyond what it looks like. Beyond what it feels like. In verse number 8. To continue kind of under this umbrella. It says knowing that whatever good anyone does will receive back from the Lord. That is immediately connected to verse 3. It's not just children. It's to parents. It's to husbands. It's to wives. It's to black people. Whites. Indonesia, Doing good. Valuing the magnitude of obedience. is something that God honors. He's not wayward and flippant like human beings. Well, like I say certain stuff, and I know people that know me. And like, Man, you're just bumping your guns together, and it's cool. Because I know you're a good dude and all that. Man, you ain't coming through. I know you say you're going to come through. You might not. The Lord always guarantees his words. So what is Paul, and more specifically Jesus, not saying here? He's not saying be obedient. To a wayward father, in an ultimate sense, in that way. He's not saying you have to remain a victim to abuse. He's not saying you have to remain a victim to a cruel master. If you look at verse 9, I think it is, he's saying to those masters, stop your threatening. But well, Paul and what Jesus are saying here is, I'm not telling you to be obedient in this way that does not value what I'm doing. I'm not saying that you have to be subject. Because you have to think about like the amount of people who no longer want to be Christian because of a man or a woman who was naming the name of Christ being abusive or being hypocritical. The Lord wants those children to honor their parents. But this type of obedience supersedes that. He's not saying remain victim. He's not saying do what they tell you to do, especially not like when I was younger. There would be older people around that you kind of just equate to parental figures. And I drank because they said was to some degree because they said that you could be so. I don't know the Bible speaks about that. but I know, mean, there are two categories. You little boy and you man. Men are in charge. Little boys have to do what men say. That was a concept that I had and that's what I thought was true and right. I think what the Lord is talking about in verse 1 when he says, Obey your parents in the Lord for this is right. He's talking about the root of righteousness. He's not talking about being obedient in that situation where someone leads to unrighteousness. I think he's making that abundantly clear. He is certainly not saying that being driven to anger either is impossible. It is possible to be angry. As you see this. And there are a lot of implications in this stuff that I just will not have time to get to. But those are two of the things that I think he's saying. Don't keep yourself in that situation where you're trying to, like there's a concept and a principle biblically where you have liberty from God to dust your feet off and move. And not remain situationally in something and say, you know what, I'm just going to be obedient, I'm going to be nice, and I'm going to keep my hands behind my back, and I'm going to show this person. There's a way to respect a person by leaving that person. There's a way to honor God by not letting that person lead you into that unrighteousness. The magnitude of obedience actually leads to this for us. So these are Christian people. That Paul is writing to and that he's talking to, and this is connected to what Brian's been preaching from the beginning of this book. There's this idea that God is in a, in a um a really like supreme way, doing everything that's happening. So a lot of people have a problem with the way that it's set up, but this is just true. God sets this in motion, He elects people, He chooses some of these people, and now they need instruction about how to walk out that election, how to walk out that salvation. How to walk in this earth among others who are not even Christian and show what all of this is about. And so this is the part that gets to, like, the master and the servant, the child and the parent, the husband and the wife. So, like, here's what I think actually happened. Um, I read this somewhere. Those first relationships are kind of easy on some level. Like, my wife wouldn't say that, like, our marriage is easy. Uh, But, like, just bear with me. It's easy for me because I think I'm cool and, you know. Like, I can imagine somebody not liking being with me. <laughs> I say, I know there are people that probably feel that way. I just don't know that I can imagine that, that. There's something wrong with them. I think. I'm kidding. But like, I think like, to talk about these relationships maybe are a little bit easier. So you're talking about a husband and a wife. It almost just works sometimes. Talking about children and parents. Just kind of the husband serving the wife, wife serving the husband, the child is kind of serving the parents and vice versa. But then you get to this really sticky situation, which is a little bit more complicated. And so here's what I wrote. Because right off the bat, I think, when you mention to somebody that you have a responsibility toward the other, I think it's very important to say this. In order to do that, you have to avoid the way of the world. What that means to some people who don't regularly read the Bible or aren't really acquainted with that type of language is there's a way that's so natural that it's popular. It's much easier to do. It's simple almost to not like people who aren't like us. I mean, it's just easy. Like, there aren't, like, ill-intended people who are like, and a lot of people try to throw this on racism. It's not always racism. Sometimes it's just so easy for me to not like somebody that's different. But it's the opposite of how God is. And so when I'm saying this, like, I'm not just saying, um, because, like, people have created these rigid borders where they say, like, I don't want to be anything like the world, man. So, you know, I'm not even wearing Ralph Lauren. I'm not even going to comb my hair. Like, be, you know, I ain't even living in the city, bro. Like, I'm about to burrow somewhere in the woods and, like, eat uh, leaves. And I'm not going to be bathing. I don't want to be anything like the world because it's crazy. And there are a lot of people that become Christian and, like, they get into it. And they leave relationships that they've been in that they can help in. Because we kind of see these things as like so polar opposite. But I don't necessarily think that's what he's talking about. What I think he's talking about when he's talking about avoiding the way of the world like the, and like this responsibility that we have to the other, this is what I think. I think it means to not allow ourselves to be swallowed up and overcommitted to these categories that you see. It's easy for children to see themselves as children and see parent as the opposite of that and not be willing to be obedient strictly because they see themselves according to that category. It's very easy for certain people to see themselves as masters and be so swallowed up by that category. That they're not able to even remotely see themselves serve a bondservant. It's easy for people to be black. And be so saturated by that category that you cannot get them to serve another. That's what I think it means to follow the way of the world. To allow the category to become like, for especially these Christians... To allow that secondary identity to be their primary. Right, to go the to school here, like I know this a fact. There were some people who were so R-U-F, they couldn't even pray for BSU. There were some people who were so tri-dent. It was a girl I dated. I was like, you ratchet, ratchet. Like you, I mean, like, and she was Christian. And so I was like, I don't want to be Christian. That sounds like Bloods and Crips where I'm from. Why would you do that? But I don't think it was intentional. I just think, like, we find ourselves especially so insecure that we will latch on to anything. If a person can relate to the bond servant in this passage, that will be the only word that sticks out to them. If a person can relate to the master in this passage, that will be their quintessential identity when they read this. And they won't hear the part about the serving, and they won't stop the threatening. And the bond servant won't hear the part about, you need to be obedient to the degree that it's unto the Lord. So there are two things that are happening there, and I'm like, I told him I'm going to do this. So I'm about to, I'm about to quote Brian Sorgenfry. He said this, I guess this was a week ago. This is in chapter 5. The Bible clearly acknowledges and outlines the evil and the harm that is done when people use their authority to abuse, manipulate, and oppress. Instead of using it to lovingly serve. Jesus hates it. He hates it even more than we do. Because when anybody uses their authority, he said, in marriage, but I think it applies in a grand way. To hurt and oppress and abuse. It's simply a misrepresentation of Jesus. He hates it. And our history is filled with it. It's awful. He ended. So this is what I want y'all to see real quick. I got four minutes, 23 seconds. There are two things I think are happening right now in this passage, but I also think it extends directly into 2018. I think it's always been present in human life. I think it's something that we gravitate toward unknowingly, sometimes knowingly, unwillingly, sometimes willingly, grudgingly, sometimes cheerfully. Number one is partiality. Kind of this fragmented. We live like this fragmented life easily. And the second part is actually the impartiality. And it's a whole. So the Bible speaks about like this whole this community, this unity, this like kind of unity in diversity, like where I think university comes from. So in the partiality, you'll see that the way of the world leads to the partiality that Paul says is the opposite of God of how God operates. This is the history we know well: partiality. Think about the sheer nature of partiality and how it works against God's work in reconciliation, which Brian mentioned week one. Between God and man. But also between man and man. So even in American history. Think of what it means for cruel masters to communicate the opposite of what God says to his creatures. Not to make light of any ethnic group at all. But think about how regularly. That's been our history. Where this command and this passage is absolutely ludicrous. Masters serving slaves. Slaves serving masters. And I said, like, you could take that context away because we don't really deal necessarily, especially not well, even when we're talking about it. We don't deal that well with that. So you could take that out. And there are a number of different groups that you could place there rich and poor, American and immigrant, black and white, Adidas and Nike. It's crazy as a concept that I have a responsibility toward another. How sway? It's crazy to people. But it's exactly what the Lord once said right here. And so you look at it and you see this. Paul is connecting something where he's saying so the master has this place where he's clearly been partial And God wants to fix it. So God has to show him impartiality. It doesn't always work for the bondservant to speak to the master about impartiality. It matters that, and I know like many a time, it's like, like, why do we have to continue to hear sermons? Why do we have to continue to read the Bible? There's this way that God is working where he's penetrating the heart of a master through it. It's as simple as that. And so you get these two categories, and the Lord is given both of these categories a responsibility. Your responsibility to the other is to me. You cannot love me and not love them. You cannot as a bond servant, and this happens all of the time. I'm regularly talking to somebody, and I say, who are you? And they say, hey, picture this. I'm going to tell you who I'm not. I said, no, you don't, don't define yourself that way because that is probably going to empty you of your responsibility to another person. That's not what the Lord is doing. What he wants is this. So I want you to identify the way that I've placed you to identify. There have been people put, almost everybody is put in a space where they have to be under someone. And almost everybody is put in a space where they have to be over someone. So I don't read this and I want well, you know what man, there's a room full of white people I hope they can hear about the master. That's not why I'm here. And I don't get any joy out of that. Like it's like I'm not going to feel better because people in this room start to cry because they feel some deep-seated sense of responsibility based in ethnicity. Because I think you have to be the master and the bond servant all the time. People put this various ways, man, walk a mile in my shoes. I don't want you to put my shoes on, first of all. Walk a mile in my shoes. All that that is communicating is recognize how you're like me. The husband's supposed to do it with his wife. The parents should be wise enough to do it with their child. The remedy is in that. God didn't set up those factions forced to live fragmented. He works impartially in this way. Paul writes about, God, about God's impartiality also in Romans chapter 2 verse 11. But in verse 8. He says this, knowing that whatever good anyone does, this he will receive back from the Lord, whether he is a bondservant or is free. In Colossians chapter 3, verse 11, about this cosmic Christ, we read, here there is no Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, free, but Christ is all and in all. This particularly for Christians means that you cannot name the name of Christ like men have done in the past and follow the pattern of the world as the paradigm you cannot name the name of Christ and disassociate with mercy and disassociate with if you look in this passage service is the way it is put There is a responsibility that we have to each other that we super mess up all the time. So it has to be fixed and there has to be an example and this example has to put before our eyes what this is supposed to look like. So this is what Jesus does. He assumes the role of husband to the church to show husbands. If you read chapter 5, chapter 6, this is what you're going to see every time that you go to the Bible. This is the quintessential example of everything that God requires of you. I need you to pay attention to my son, which also highlights the children portion. I need you to pay attention to me, the father, which highlights that portion. And I need you to watch... This, master, this is what we think about. We typically think of masters. This is the part of why some people have an issue with it. I always struggle with rich people. I always thought they have to be arrogant and pompous. And I want nothing to do with them. And so the Lord fixed it this way. Biblically he says. He emptied himself of them. And he left the castle and he came here to be me. So he's not just a master, he also enslaved himself. So now I cannot say possibly that's not available. I think he's very, very serious about it. I don't think it's just literature. I think for the person that struggles with the master, he shows the right character. For the person that struggles to see any worth or value in the term bondservant, in someone that reminds them of a bond servant in an entire ethnic class that would make them feel a certain way. I think he gives an example. He says you cannot discount the tribe. And he associates with the widow with the whore, with the loose. And he says, I am going to redeem everything that you could possibly have an issue with inside of myself so that if you are with me walking, it is possible for you to be obedient in a way that totally blows away what you learned naturally who you've learned to distrust, those you've learned to identify off of. And so it doesn't leave it to men. I don't have to wonder if white people love me. I don't have to wonder if I love white people. I don't have to wonder if immigrants are terrible. I don't have to move if someone unlike me moves into my neighborhood. Because the categories don't belong to me. I'm not overwhelmed by them. I'm not drenched. I recognize the categories are secondary. And what I should do with them is the exact same thing that spirits and the wind and the sea would do. I should be amazed when they're obedient. Let's pray. God, thank you very much for the amount of time that you give us. Um, thank you for the lives that we have, in some sense, the fortune to endeavor to live. You are amazing. You are credible. You are helpful. But you are also supreme. You are holy, unapproachable without majesty, which your Son provides. But you understand this because He was also poor. So we need him to be rich. He is rich in mercy. We need him because we are downtrodden and poor in spirit moments and he has been all of them. Help us to see him. Help us to see him as creator. Making us worthy. So that we obey in every situation as unto you. In the name of Jesus Christ I pray. Amen.